first time founders think about product, second time founders think about distribution. So mm. we should probably try to make first time founders also think a bit more actively about distribution. So from your point of view, what's advice that first time founders should think about in the context of sales, distribution, etc.? We're always selling. It's a lot of times unintentional. You're a person and when you interact with other people, like I said, you know, my co-founder and I were always out there and you're always representing what you do, who you are. And when you are sharing that, you're actually selling, right? And when someone catches on to what you're doing that's relevant for them, they're going to ask you more. And that's like your opportunity to, oh, find out more about what they think. Is this something applicable to them? Or is there a new opportunity or a new space that was in blind, like in your blind spot? Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast. I'm James Gilbert. I'm excited to be bringing you this HubSpot for Startups mini-series of the Asia Growth Forecast in collaboration with Antler. In this three-part series, you'll hear from some of Asia's most exciting startup founders and their sales leaders on how to build a successful sales strategy for different stages of growth and scale your startup across the region. Our special hosts for this series stem from venture capital firms and incubators who have played a pivotal role in growing and nurturing Asia's startup ecosystem. We hope you enjoy this startup special mini-series. Now, let's get into today's show. Okay, hello everyone. My name is uh, Yusuf Salavar. I'm uh, the managing partner for Antler in Asia and uh, also one of the co-founders of the company. It's my uh, absolute pleasure to introduce Wei Lang, who is uh, one of the founders of Smiley, which is a tech-enabled corporate gifting platform. She will, in, in this session, share about her insights of driving a founder-led sales process, which is going to be quite an interesting contrast to um, her background. She spent time with Apple, Siemens running sales. It's going to be very interesting to compare different approaches. Now, uh, for full disclosure, Smiley is an Antler portfolio company. So I'm <laughs> not going to be... Very proud to be. <laughs> yeah, nice to hear that. I'm, I'm not going to be completely neutral in my approach, but uh, uh, just felt the need to say that. I, I don't want to do you the injustice of introducing mm -hmm. you uh, myself. So, you know, sure. why don't you, uh, you know, do yeah. a quick introduction of yourself and uh, Smiley. Sure, happy to do that. I'll start with Smiley. You've rightly pointed out we are a tech-enabled corporate gifting platform. Um, but really, at the end of the day, we are a tech SaaS startup that's trying to help companies build and maintain relationships with their stakeholders through the mode of gifting. And we do two things. So one is, you know, for the companies that are trying to engage, we help them better manage, automate, track the entire process with the platform. And then on the recipient side, what we do is to give them a better experience and make it a whole lot more meaningful for them to um, engage with these corporates. Myself, I spent the most part of my career doing uh, very non-technical things in the tech industry. So working for you know, some of the big fangs and um, also a Berlin-based SaaS startup, helping them do market development work, helping that SaaS startup lead Asian market expansion for a couple of years, and then transition to wanting to do my own. And um, having founded Smiley with my co-founder, 
through the Antler program. No, thank you for that. Let me dive straight in. So in the beginning of, of your startup's journey, mm-hmm. you're basically always, especially in a B2B context, doing founder-led sales. So can you just share how did you acquire first, say, 10, 20 customers through obviously your own efforts and hopefully increasingly through through other people so you get leverage. Sure. So both myself and my co-founder, I guess, blessedly or not, we came from very strong BD sales background. So both of us are always doing sales. We are always uh, meeting new people, facing external clients and sharing the value proposition. So um, I would say the first uh, few customers, we are still pretty early in our startup journey, you know, having been funded only in April this year, so that's six months ago, um, and already having a couple of, you know, paying customers, that's great. But a lot of them came from um, networks that we've built over the last couple of years. So we were quite... I would say intentional that when we started this company, we wanted to do it in a space that we have networks in and that we know the products that we are selling would be applicable to the people we already know and the contexts that we have previously sold to. So that's how we got our first couple of sales. So utilizing pre-existing networks and also, you know, actually building on strengths that you have yourselves. That's a very interesting approach that not everyone always takes it's a very basic insight in a way we are about basic (laughs) doing everything plain vanilla let's rephrase that it's all about execution and if you execute on top of uh, your strengths you'll you'll be faster and uh, more powerful now in the intro i already touched on doing founder-led sales in a startup versus Mm -hmm. you know uh, sales in a more corporate setting. And I think for a lot of people, you know, you have a surface scratch on what's the difference, but like, how do you see that difference and yes. in, in practice, in real life? Yeah, how for, is it different? For me, the difference is exceptionally stark because, you know, I used to work for companies that have big brands, right? You probably don't need to really sell so hard to them. They are all like coming to you. And when you say, oh, you do this product for this company, they're pretty much already assured of you the quality. You didn't get the what is Apple yeah. question back in the day. <laughs> I yeah, I don't have to. They're probably like, oh, yes. So when it came to, you know, starting from scratch and not having that that credibility yet behind us, it's always about building that first credibility, right? And having the first few customers that would add to the credibility. So in a way, background and experience helps, helps um, having done... Uh, and executed on projects and executed on deliverables with other clients. And that's why I say we, we leaned back on, you know, the kind of context that we've already built throughout our career. People who have already worked with us and know the kind of quality in terms of the people that we are, as well as the kind of products that we would bring to them, right? To say, okay, you know what, this is what I've done with you in the past under this brand. Now that I have my own I stand stand by the same values. I stand by the same kind of deliverables and I'm going to provide you a new value for a different part of your business. Very interesting. If we if we slice things from a different angle, I believe you focus a bit more on corporates in terms of your sales approach, larger ones, yes. and your co-founder focuses a bit more on SMBs, startups. And uh, so how do those differ from each other? I mean, your yes. brand is the same, your product is 
probably at least if not mm -hmm. the same close to uh, each other for those segments so how do you guys differentiate that offering and that approach yes. so the conversation starters and the conversation content could be quite different so myself a little bit more context right uh, because I came from a more MNC type of background I usually would talk to say the mid-manager level type of people within a company they have some kind of influence over what product gets implemented within the organization, but they are not like the CEO, the biggest uh, or the directors of, of those big brands. Whereas for someone like my co-founder who is talking to companies that are of smaller scales or like family offices, he probably just goes to the guy who you know started the company or who signs off on all the checks. For my kind of conversations, it's usually a lot more consultative in terms of understanding what they need to do on an executional level and helping them to solve that pain point. So for example, in the corporate gifting space, the person who needs to organize an event and deliver you know, dog gifts for 800 people, how can I help her do that easily, fast-free, within the same budget, yet you know, innovate and deliver an added value? on top of what was originally expected of her, right? So I think where we did well is like, oh, being able to do everything the same for her, give her less problems, and yet, you know, deliver an experience that's like, oh, actually my recipients can choose their gifts, right? And that's a delightful moment that she never thought she would be able to uh, bring. And then for, you know, my co-founder talking to the bosses, it's more like, how do our companies work together on a longer term partnership basis? Therefore, sell some of your products back to our customers. How do we cross-sell and add value in that way? How do we help your team members work better with our solution? Okay, so it's a lot about listening, balancing between talking and listening, I guess, you know, the Yes. age-old truth in in uh, selling so what about cultural differences we're here in singapore which is yeah. obviously a melting pot of different cultures how do you see that i would imagine your customers also have different cultures represented mm -hmm. and you also yourself spent time in europe so how important is it to take into account you know cultural nuances i'm, I'm guessing the answer is very important but then how <laughs> do you actually how do you actually yes. do that Yes, for sure. So a little bit of context again, I did spend a couple of years in Berlin doing partnerships and BD alongside a European team. So I was very familiar with how they ran their sales versus how I had to run my sales and especially, you know, how I had to convince German bosses to do partnerships and BD for an Asian region that's completely new to them, right? So right now, Smiley is still very much focused on just the Singapore market to start with. It's the one that we're most familiar with, most comfortable with. Um, but based off like past experiences, comparing and contrasting in terms of cultural um, differences and things to note, there are a few things. So firstly, in terms of establishing um, initial contacts, it was actually quite surprising for me as well that when I saw how my European colleagues could more easily reach out to uh top uh, higher management level decision maker in the European region through cold outreach and LinkedIn type of approach versus in Asia. I don't think we would really get to uh, access those kind of people within this region at those level 
just through LinkedIn, you're probably not even on there, right? And especially when we talk about, I think Singapore is has a culture of, or rather has a working environment of already a lot of established big names, big brands and all that. People have risen through the ranks working in corporates, but in other countries like Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, a lot of the big conglomerates, companies, they are very much family owned. And then to get to access those networks, you probably need to know someone and be introduced. So yeah, very different in that cultural context if you're just talking about that. No, absolutely super important. Thanks for the uh, insights. Now, we often as humans learn through successes, but also more importantly, through mistakes. Any any sort of fascinating mistakes you've made through your career in sales that uh, we should all uh, learn from so that not everyone listening yep. has to make the same mistake? Huge ones that, no, I, thankfully not like career crippling ones for sure. But I think some of the things that we tend to do, for example, as um, founders talking to, uh, taking on the sales hat versus taking on the talking to investor hat is that we sometimes jumble up that conversation because when I'm talking to an investor and I'm talking about my company, my vision, it's sexy, it's what I stand for, it's what I believe in and I want to share that with people. But if I'm talking to the person who's like the admin person who's trying to buy gifts for her company of like 70 people for Christmas, honestly, she just wants to, you know, check the box and get it out of the way have as much as possible. Yes, she cares for her team and she she's delighted that we can give her a great experience, but she probably cannot comprehend how we can further add value to the way that their company is going to establish relationships with external clients, potential clients, other kinds of events. And if I bring those into the conversation, it just confuses her. So I think sometimes we forget that and then, you know, we just end up talk, selling too much and making everything else a lot more complex than actually at the end of the day, hey, I'm going to help you save money and I'm going to help you save time. Yeah, so understanding your audience. Did, did you ask an admin person to invest accidentally? Or <laughs> invest? No. No. Okay. Okay. Although so I would say, checking. yeah, some admin people, you know, with having experience work in the previous companies might have had the capacity to. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Never judge a book by its covers. Founders, so so this never never so always be selling type thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. before. It's a bit like in finance we talk about always be raising in venture too, right? In in the context of running a business, also always be selling is important. Are there any pieces of advice you'd like to give to sort of first time founders on this do- topic? Because there's this sort of let's say famous Justin Khan quote around first-time founders think about product, second-time founders think about distribution. So Mm. we should probably try to make first-time founders also think a bit more actively about distribution. So from your point of view, what's advice that first-time founders should think about in the context of sales, distribution, etc.? We're always selling. It's a lot of times unintentional because, you know, you're a person and when you interact with other people, like I said, you know, my co-founder and I were always out there and you're always representing what you do, who you are. And when you are sharing that, you're actually selling, 
right? And when someone catches on to what you're doing that's relevant for them, they're going to ask you more. And that's like your opportunity to, oh, find out more about what they think. Is this something applicable to them? Or is there a new opportunity or a new space that was in blind, like in your blind spot? So funny story, I always, I do bouldering on the side and I would have random conversations in the bouldering gym with a person next to me who happens to be an insurance sell agent. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I do corporate gifting. His, you would see his eyes light up and he would go, can you do that for me? I have to gift so many presents to my clients all the time. It takes up so much of my time. And then we have this conversation and we realize, oh, actually, that's a huge segment that, you know, there's a pain point to be solved. And actually that is um, currently our, I would say, beachhead segment that we are gunning for. Our latest product coming out, which is a bot where you can send gifts on the go. I mean, in, in your space, pretty much everyone can represent either the supply or the demand side. Yes. And uh, But you don't have an offering for consumers yet not yet although we do um we do see the applications there uh we get you know mostly the men who are like i I need a bot to send gifts when you know festivities come up yeah just just do that for me yeah men definitely need that before we move into the next segment here's a quick word from hubspot are you a startup founder looking for the right set of tools to speed up and scale your sales process Join HubSpot for startups and get access to free masterclasses, startup toolkits, a connected ecosystem, and up to 90% off the entire HubSpot platform. Unlock everything you need to increase leads, accelerate sales, and streamline customer service, all without blowing your budget. Head to hubspot.com forward slash startups to get started. So in terms of hiring for sales, um, one of the critical things in, in early on in a startup's journey is finding the right people. So how do you think about hiring your first sales rep and then your first sales leader? Let's, um, let's focus on those two. Okay. We were still super early in that stage and super thankful that you know both co-founders are pretty strong in, in the sales side of things. I think... The first salesperson should be able to really um, multiply and scale our efforts because what we are going to be doing right now until that time is really figuring out that formula that works for maybe a couple of user groups, Mm. right? And that person's job is to take this and just go out there, multiply it into, let's say today I'm talking to um, three main verticals that I think uh, that that have found my product to be really useful. And I know that within vertical A, there is ABCD that they're looking for. And then vertical, sec- second vertical, it's like uh, another set of criteria. So with this template per se, that person should be able to really understand it well and then bring it to like another 10 within vertical one, another 10 within vertical two. In terms of your business, like to cover Singapore, how many sales reps do you need? Well, you're doing you are doing a somtem uh, Sam action <laughs> on am. me right now. Yeah. So roughly, 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 what do you think we need? Three to five to cover Singapore, and then more when we go into Malaysia and okay. Hong Kong. Very next. Good. Will you personally interview? Look, like, at what point do you foresee yourself not personally interviewing a salesperson? Not personally interviewing, interviewing a, a, yeah, a salesperson. salesperson. At what point? I would say probably Series A onwards, when that big enough. Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay, so that would mean you have uh, several. When I have a sales, teams. when I have a sales lead or director who is actually not my co-founder, because <laughs> mm. I think um, that is most probably going to be his role. And between the two of us, you know, for the first, at least into seed, yeah, he will have a strong hold on that because that will be our pulse to the ground. Okay. I do think that hiring that uh, sort of fantastic sales leader is, is going to be a, a critical thing that sort of both founders need to focus on. That's going to be a make or break uh, for most businesses in the B2B. Yeah. B2B and, and I think, um, again, I said we are blessed because we come from that background and we know there are startups where, you know, the founders are just very much technical product driven mm -hmm. and they might not have enough background. And to them, it would be really important to hire someone who's done that previously and I would say if I can give a little bit of thoughts, it would be most useful to hire someone who have done uh, sales within that same size and within that same setup, very similar setup to be relevant because they will know and advise you on what you need. For sure. So one maybe final area uh, that I wanted to touch on is, is culture. Um, okay. There's this fascinating quote around culture eating strategy for breakfast, right? Okay. So have you guys thought about how to build a culture in the company where sales performance is, is sort of an integral part of it? Is that something you guys have even thought to already? Again, we are super young. We are four full-time um, employees in the company right now. But culture starts so, with you too, right? Yes, so even you two should have a culture. For sure. It starts with us. Um, it's how we behave. It's how we talk about the product. And it's how we see and want people to use the product. Maybe less so about like just all about sales, but what do we focus on mm -hmm. in someone using our product and in selling and representing the brand, right? We are always about, okay, is there an area where we can bring additional delight and, and preempt needs you know, that our customers do not already know. Like, for example, if you were to go to a, co a company today, they wouldn't even think, oh, it's, uh, is there even a possibility of introducing donations options to, you know, in, in the midst of my gifting experience? But it helps them rethink, oh, actually, um, it's a lot more meaningful to my recipients. And a lot of people look out for that meaning today. And I mean, it's a Chinese saying that, you know, giving is better than taking right so to gift the gift of gift the gift of giving um, is actually something really wonderful that we are enabling companies to do and are there even more aspects like this that we can bring into our you know sales conversations into our product into our entire customer success journey yeah so delight that's a fascinating word delight. right are you using that to somehow drive drive how you add value to customers, how you manage yes. you know, manage their success, etc. Yeah, so um, our our tagline is really igniting delight, so empowering igniting companies delight. to ignite delight, and in the process, making it delightful for them to do that. Yeah, so having a platform that just makes it so easy, so so fun and so meaningful. Yeah, to be gifting. I think that's incredible. And I think to wrap up the session, final question, which is, do you give gifts to your customers? I think we do it internally and externally in different ways. So one of the ways would be, for example, if we know that um, someone within the company has, you know, just been, has just simple, 
just got married. So one of our employees, for example, just got married. We would send them a, a note and it comes with like an experience that they can choose from. So that's something we do as part of our culture. And externally, for example, it's, so we also start with things like doing some of the corporate merchandise, corporate swags for them. And it's part of the samples that uh, we give them. So it's kind of, it serves two things. So it's giving them like the, I want to go back to delight, but like a surprise. Hey, this is what we could do for you. But by the way, you can also keep it. It's really cool. If you really like it, you keep it. So uh, there you have it. Gifting as a, as a way of life. It's been a privilege to be part of the journey since you and uh, when I met in the Antler program. So I think in this session, we heard about igniting delight. I think that's a fascinating uh, value to live up to. And I, it, the, way, the reason I like it especially is because it really focuses on the customer and the value they get. Then founder-led sales, I mean, you have to build in your strengths and both of you have that BD background. And if, if anyone kind of uh, in the audience has that, think about how to build on, on top of that. Always be selling. There's always an audience to what you do. And uh, think about it this way, I would say, why would you not try to sell as a founder? Sure. Uh, I think these have been some of the some of the key things we touched on, but thank you, Wilang. Uh, fantastic session. Thank you, UC. Thanks, everyone. Hope you uh, hope it was helpful. Thanks for tuning in to the startup special mini-series of the Asia Growth Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show. Oh, and one more thing. If you found today's discussion valuable, share it with someone who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode. We'll see you real soon.